So I'm reading this book. It's entitled Reparations, A Christian Call to Restoration and Repair by Duke Kwan and Gregory Thompson. And in their book, they tell the story of Levi Coffin. One day, uh, when he was seven years old, uh, Levi Coffin was playing by the roadside where his father was chopping wood. And he looks up and he sees uh, this, this group of slaves um, marching toward them. And they're handcuffed and uh, in pairs, they're chained together with this chain that, that goes down the middle and they're being towed by that. And behind them is a white man on a horse who is um, goading along his uh, caravan of human chattel and he's cracking his whip when they begin going too slow. Um, when they're too fatigued or when their feet are, are hurting them too badly. Well, um, this is stunning to young Levi because he's never seen anything like it before. Uh, his parents didn't own slaves. His grandparents didn't own slaves. His father uh, walked over to the men and, and inquired of them, uh, like, why are you all chained? And one of them, with deep sadness, re responded by saying, they have taken us from our wives and our children and were chained uh, so that we won't uh, try to escape uh, and get back to them. Well, the very thought of this father being taken away from his family and, and from his, his children haunted Levi that day. And so he was full of questions for, for his dad. And his dad just, just patiently answered them. You know, questions about the slave, questions about the slave driver, uh, questions uh, about the chains. Um, he recalls the, uh, the response that uh, the, uh, the, the slave uh, had given his dad. And that's kind of the, the, the unresolved thing that, that just stayed with him. Uh, it was etched in his mind, and um, he was just always uh, remembering. It was kind of like waking up you know, from a nightmare. Um, what if Father was taken away from us? And so it was just this powerful experience. Um, and, it, and it stayed with him for, for years to come. And later in his write, writings, he described that experience. He described that, that, that incident. Um, as, as the, the beginning or like the awakening of, of his sympathy and, and compassion uh, for the oppressed and also um, kind of like the beginning of this, this flame burning inside of him, this, this hatred um, for uh, oppression and injustice. And so that's kind of how it began. Uh, so it was, Levi Coffin, um, one of the most storied figures of the Underground Railroad uh, became converted at age seven to this cause of abolitionism. And he was very passionate about this. Like he was uh, passionate about uh, condemning slavery, particularly this, this reality that slaves lost everything. Like they were robbed of absolutely everything.
so that the slave owners could have their labor uh, without having to pay any wages. Uh, he was also very passionate uh, about defying the, the fugitive slave laws. Uh, they were formulated on this legal principle of restitution. So it would be argued that it was the slave owner's right to, uh, to be able to, to uh, be restored of their, their personal property. Uh, and their loss. Well, Levi Coffin believed that it was the fugitive slave uh, that was um, uh, the one experiencing theft. And, and theft um, is, is at the heart of the whole problem. Probably um, one of his strongest convictions was that it just simply was a Christian's duty um, uh, to to bring restoration, to, to restore these despoiled human beings um, to a condition that fit their identity as the image of God. Well, in 1826, Levi Coffin and his wife Catherine and their infant son Levi, uh, they moved to Newport, Indiana. And like before they could even get settled into their new home, they realized that they were now living on one of the lines of, of the Underground Railroad, uh, which as you know was this clandestine network of safe houses and routes and uh, um, people who um, would, would help uh, uh, fugitive slaves on their perilous journey to, to the North, their, their perilous journey to, to freedom. And he also learned early on there that, that these fugitives uh, who were escaping to freedom, like they would be, they would be hunted down by the, the, the slave owners and they were slave hunters that had these Negro dogs to go after them. And he also learned that their white neighbors um, were really too afraid uh, to respond or, or to participate at all. Um, because of the repercussions, uh, because of what would happen to them. And, and their fears were warranted because there were laws that if you helped a fugitive slave, you could be fined heavily, you could be, uh, you could be imprisoned. Uh, there were all kinds of, of, of threats of, of violence that, that went along with that. Um, in fact, at the height of the Coffin's involvement in the Underground Railroad, uh, they were routinely threatened by, by men who said they would burn their house down. Uh, he was uh, threatened to be shot, to be dragged into, into the woods, uh, to be hung on a tree. And yet that, that didn't stop them. Uh, it didn't matter. And the reason is because they were bound to, to Scripture's call to love your neighbor as yourself. And so they would arrive at their house, sometimes in groups, anywhere from, from two to, to 17 uh, fugitive slaves. They would come in the middle of the night. They would, they would come and, and they would be um, uh, in poor health and, and they would be wounded and, and they would be uh, with such deep fatigue from this crazy harrowing journey that, that, that they had been on. And the coffins, they took great risks so that they could just offer this very humanizing compassion to these people who came to them. And so they, they would provide safe shelter 
they would provide food, they would provide rest, they would provide clothing, like whatever medical needs that, that they could offer, like they would do that. They would give them new shoes. They, they would give them supplies uh, because they knew they were continuing on their journey north. Jesus' most famous parable, our parable for today, was formative to Levi Coffin's sense of calling. And that parable is, is evident in his life, like with these things. Uh, he was a white merchant who, who showed restorative, compassionate love to his neighbors. And his neighbors, they were of a different and despised race, just like in Jesus' story. The Samaritan and the Jews, there were issues there. His neighbors, Levi Coffin's neighbors, they were also brutalized and plundered, just like in the story. They had fallen among thieves. Their decision to provide this, this roadside hospitality, it came at risk like risk to their lives, just like in Jesus' story. The road from, from Jericho to Jerusalem was just fraught with danger. Like it was known that, that robbers and, and thieves and violent people were hiding in, in, behind any rock or any cranny to, for, to, to take advantage of, of travelers who were coming. So anyone that would, that would stop to help uh, someone like this poor guy in the ditch uh, were doing so uh, at, at great risk. And there were many, like the religious guys, who found reasons not to take that risk. Maybe they weren't able to, to really see the person. They could only uh, feel the fear or maybe see their responsibilities in the temple, maybe understand the, all of the reasons why they couldn't stop and help. Uh, but, but the Samaritan was different. He took the risk, like the coffins. And another thing about what they did uh, was that there was uh, cost involved. Like they made lots and lots of money for decades with their, their very uh, lucrative um, retail business. And they were prosperous. And they funneled that uh, into the Underground Railroad. And here's an important point for us as we consider uh, our possibilities of bringing restoration and repair in our own community. Like Levi Coffin, he did these things, not as a response to guilt. Like he, his parents, his grandparents, they never owned a single slave. He did these things as a simple and profound response to the Bible's call to love your neighbor as yourself. So the parable of the Good Samaritan, it exists in our Bible because this lawyer stands up to test Jesus. And so it's, it's framed in kind of this contentious way uh, just by that one word. But when you take that word out, like. I've, I've always thought of this guy as the villain. 
he's the bad guy. And, and that's maybe one of the problems when a story like this becomes so familiar um, that it, it's hard for us to, to hear it or, or to see beyond our uh, assumptions and, and stereotypes that, that we've established with that, you know? And so I got to thinking, what if I assume the best about this person? Like, what if he's not a villain at all? What if it's not a, a contentious conversation? What if he is sincere in his questioning of Jesus? And I mean, shouldn't he question Jesus and put Jesus to the test? I mean, if I put myself in his shoes, like, he is a, a, a Jewish lawyer. He um, knows uh, the faith and probably thinks of himself as a, a, a keeper of that faith. Uh, if, if I were in those shoes, then I'm thinking that I would probably have some serious questions about Jesus too, especially when I think about the way that Jesus came. Jesus comes along and he begins to defy the created order or the natural order, like head-turning things. You know, the walking on the water, the calming the water, the directing the fish in the water, like right into the fishermen's nets, the, the spitting into the, to the dirt and making mud that, that heals the blind man's eyes, and on and on and on. Um, he not only defies uh, the natural order of things, um, but he defies uh, the social order. Like he just did things you don't do. He absolutely had dinner with anybody and everybody, even leper colonies and, and Gentile families. And uh, he made these outlandish spiritual claims. Like, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one that you've been waiting for. And people start following him in droves. And the religious order that he was a part of, um, they, they weren't just skeptical. They were just like clearly in defiance and disagreement uh, with all of the claims uh, that Jesus was making. And so, if I'm going to consider following him, if, if I'm going to uh, radically change my life and, and upend things that uh, is going to impact my family and, and possibly my career, then I need to know if this guy is for real. So of course I have questions. And, and the first one that he asks is how do I inherit eternal life? And they come to a conclusion together. Like the path to life is love. You love God and you love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says do this and you'll live. Like, life is found in that. And then the second question, who is my neighbor?
And that's when Jesus tells this parable. Biblical scholars say that this parable captures the essence of Christianity. You know, it's never been safe to follow Jesus. And there's always a cost. And Jesus says, love like that. It's a dangerous road. It's a dangerous love. May God give all of us the strength to risk it. Amen.